And it reads, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste in the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of bondage. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Aberazelite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, hearing and doing of his word. Amen. The word of God has been read in our hearing. And this evening, if God is so pleased, we'll be looking at Judges chapter six. First half of it. With our scripture lesson to being this evening. I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he might open our eyes and our hearts and our minds, that we might behold the Christ, that we might worship him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for this blessed time as we come to your word and we're reminded that you are a great and an awesome sovereign and terrible and yet a loving and a wonderful God. All things are yours including our minds and our hearts and our lives. So now we do ask that you would come by your spirit and have your way with that which belongs to you. Mold us and shape us. 
Teach us and direct us. Break us and mend us. Show us our need for you. And then supply all that we need. This is our prayer this this evening. Heavenly Father, we have no power, we have no might in ourselves to make this prayer reality. It is only by your Spirit. It is only calling to your will. It is only through you that these things are done. Pray that you would not only hear us, but that you would delight to answer our prayer. So we pray it in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We we have been looking at Judges. We have been making our way through the book of Judges. And now we have come to Judges chapter 6. The story of the familiar judge named Gideon. Perhaps if you are familiar with Judges, even in the slightest bit, the name Gideon and the name Samson surely jumps out at you. If we were going to have a, uh, a trivia, some trivia tonight, and I was to say to name two Judges, I am quite comfortably assured that most of us could name at least those two. Gideon and Samson. We know more about Gideon and Samson than we do know about any of the other judges contained in these books. Their lives and the account of God's dealing with them is more given to us than are any of the other judges that we have or that we shall look at. And rightly so, because Gideon and, and Samson are pivotal, are, are pivotal judges. They stand, their personalities just shout to us what God is doing in the nation at this time. Who they are and what they do are so pivotal to, pivotal to us understanding the book of Judges and what Israel was doing and what God was demanding of them. Remember the history of the judges, that that here is the history of Israel at this time of judges. It was the history of Israel after the time of Joshua. Joshua is dead and now they are in search of leadership to lead them as they are in the promised land to the conquering of the promised land and the enemies that God has left in the promised land. And so God raises up a series of judges to lead the people. And some of the judges are good judges and some of the judges are bad judges. Some of the judges are better than others. When we get to uh, uh, when we get to Gideon, Gideon stands almost as a hinge, a doorway, as it were, into the book of Judges, where we go from the good judges into the bad judges. We looked at Athniel and Ehud and Deborah and Barak and we saw their lives and if we could mark out their lives we would say that they were good judges. But after we get on with Gideon we'll find that the decline in the judges just gets worse and worse and worse until we get to Samson at the end of the book of Judges and there Samson is perhaps the worst of them all. 
But we have Gideon. Gideon stands, as it were, a doorway almost, a hinge. And we look at the life of Gideon and we ask ourselves, was Gideon a good judge or a bad judge? We look at Gideon's life and we see things in Gideon's life that, that are commendable. And we say, oh, Gideon was a good judge. Then we look at Gideon's life and we see things that are not so commendable. And we say, well, Gideon belongs to the roll call of the bad judges. And we're left to ask ourselves, hmm, how do we categorize Gideon? What do we say about the leadership of Gideon? What I would suggest to us this evening that we look at Gideon just like we will look at our own selves and we say that Gideon is as God says Gideon is. Gideon is as God says Gideon is. And you and I, we are as God says we are. And what does God say that Gideon is? Well, I think if we look at this text carefully, what we see is God making a couple of pronouncements concerning Gideon and even the nation of Israel themselves. And God says two things about the nation. And in that sense, he's saying two things about Gideon. And therefore, as we are making application of this this evening, he will be saying those two things about us as well. And the first thing that God says about Gideon and subsequently that he says also about the nation is that God says that they were a rebellious people. What does God say? I am who God says I am. That's the case, beloved. Understand this, that God says we are rebellious. We are rebellious. It's interesting. As we see, as we're going through the book of Judges, there is this, as we've seen before, there is this almost formula that goes on as, the, as Israel falls into sin, they rebel against God. God sends uh, uh, some, a nation upon them to judge them, and then they cry out for help, and then God sends a deliverer, right, as we have seen before. Well, here again, the, the pattern is the same. Israel falls into sin after the peace and prosperity of Deborah and Barak. They fall into sin because of their disobedience. And in falling into sin, God sends the Midianites. The Midianites judge. They, they, they judge Israel. They, they, they oppress Israel. Israel feels the weight of that oppression for some seven years. And then they cry out for a deliverer. But the interesting thing is, is that when Israel cried out for help this time, rather than sending a deliverer, God sends a prophet. 
He doesn't right away raise up a deliverer who comes and he delivers Israel from under the weight of the Midianites, but rather he sends a prophet. And the prophet comes and the prophet delivers a message. The prophet delivers an indictment. He doesn't come with words of redemption and salvation. But he comes with the words of an indictment. Israel cries out for a savior. God doesn't send them a savior. He sends them a prophet. This is interesting for us to understand. The reason is, is because God sends Israel a prophet first because the prophet is going to remind them and confirm to them that you are a lost people. Here's an important principle to remember. Before anyone gets saved, they first got to get lost. Before the words of redemption come to them, before the words of salvation come to them, the words of the condemnation for their sin must come to them. First, before you get found by Christ, you have to realize that you've been lost without Christ. And here, and here, God sends a prophet, and the prophet brings an indictment. An indictment is this, that Israel is a rebellious nation and deserving of all that she is enduring. Deserving of it all. And what are they enduring? They are enduring a frightful time, beloved. For God has sent upon them the Midianites. And the Midianites are a frightful nation. And Midianites didn't just come to fight Israel as some of their other enemies have. The enemies of Israel this time, the Midianites, don't just come to fight, but they come to terrorize Israel. They have come to terrorize and to bully the nation. And the judgment this time was not just their destruction, but even more so their humiliation. This is the hand of God against them. God is humiliating them. For the hand of God was against them. In verse 1 it says, for seven years God gave them over into the hand of the Midianites. And the Midianites terrorized them. You see that in verse 2. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. In other words, they made for themselves hiding places. They hid from the Midianites. Because the Midianites would come in and the Midianites were not just trying to kill the Israelites, but the Midianites were terrorizing the Israelites. The 
Bible says that they would swarm like locusts. Notice what it says. They would come and camp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels would come not, and, and, and their camels and them could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. They were like locusts, not only in number, but they were like locusts in how they would devour the land. So bad were they that they impoverished the nation of Israel. Notice what it says in verse 6. And the Israelites were brought very low. Literally, it means that they were made small. Their resources were sapped. They were impoverished. And they hid. They hid in the caves. And what little sustenance they had, what little wheat they had, they would thresh it in fear. Seeking not to be seen by any of the Midianites because anything that the Midianites saw, they took. And Israel was powerless. They had no hope against the Midianites because they had no hope against God. Because, beloved, the Midianites were there as the judgment and the hand of God himself. Of course, they had no hope against the Midianites because there is no hope against God. They are so helpless, so fearful. And after seven years, they cry out for help. And does God send help? Nope. He sends a prophet. And the prophet says, the reason why you have these frightful Midianites in your midst is because you have forgotten the mercies of God. The reason why you have these frightful Midianites in your midst is because you have forgotten the mercies of God. Notice what the prophet says to Israel. Rather than telling the people of God that God is on their way, on his way, he rehearses for them what God has done. He reminds them of just how awful their rebellion is because of how awesome the grace of God has been in their midst. The reason why it is so awful with you, Israel, is because you have neglected the awesome grace and mercy of God. He reminds them that theirs was a remarkable deliverance. Thus says the Lord, the prophet says, the God of Israel. 
I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. Remarkable deliverance that we can recall in the book of Exodus as Moses leads the nation out of Egypt with the power of God on display every step of the way. Ultimately crushing the great army of Pharaoh and crippling the great nation of Egypt. It's a marvelous, it was a wonderful, it was a great and spectacular deliverance. And it was theirs. It was the mercy of God to them. And they had forgotten how great was their deliverance, but not only did they forget how great was their deliverance, they have forgotten how gracious the deliverance was as well. It was not only a great deliverance, it was a gracious deliverance. As you see that God says, I not only drove them out before you, your enemies, but I gave you their land. Notice God says, I not only delivered you out of Egypt, but now I have given you what belonged to other people. And said, this is yours. I'm kicking them out. And the wealth and the prosperity that they had built up in the land, I'm giving it to you. Their deliverance was a remarkable, great deliverance. It was also a gracious deliverance. And that's why, beloved, this is such a terrible rebellion. For in spite of it all, God says to them, but you have not obeyed my voice. All that I have done and all that I have given you and you still have not obeyed my voice. Here's something that should always be on our minds. The thing that makes sin so awful is that it is done despite the awesome grace of God. Every time we find ourselves falling into sin and rebellion against the God who has loved us and redeemed us, we are saying, just like the Israelites, forget your mercies, forget your grace. Sin is awful in our lives. Because it manifests a forgetfulness of God's mercy and his grace to us. We think it terrible and awful to look at the Israelites until we begin to look at our own lives and are reminded that we are the recipients of God's redeeming love in Jesus Christ. And as awful as the Israelites are in our text, beloved, 
to forget the mercies of God any moment in our lives. We are just a breath, a step away from the idolatrous and the adulterous sin of Israel. This is why, beloved, we should never forget the mercies of God. Remember your baptism. Remember the confession that you made in the presence of many witnesses. Remember your redemption. Remember your justification. Remember your adoption. Remember your sanctification. Remember the promise that you are going to be glorified. Remember the graciousness of God in Jesus Christ. Remember the mercies. Recall them every day and be reminded just how good God has been. Because when you don't, you become like Israel. And they were a foolish people. Their sin had brought upon them these frightful Midianites because they had forgotten the mercies of God. And when people forget the mercies of God, they become a foolish people. And this is what happens to them. They become this foolish people. You know, when God declares you to be rebellious, it doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. God said that Israel was rebellious. When God has determined us to be unworthy sinners and our hearts to be desperately wicked, it does not matter what anyone else says. I don't care how many prophets, I don't care how many modern gurus stand up before you and tell you how good you are, how great you are, how wonderful you are, how beautiful you are. If God says you are rebellious, if God says you are wicked, if God says your heart is desperately wicked, then that right there is the truth of the matter. Beloved, we are what God says we are. And when God calls us rebellious, we're rebellious. And therefore, the only thing to do, really, beloved, the only thing to do is to do what Israel should do, and that is receive the indictment of God against you. Receive it. The Bible reminds us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Receive it. Receive the truth that you are numbered among those who have sinned against God and rebelled against his ways. Receive it. 
There are two truths that I am absolutely assured of pertains to every human being in this world. Two. And the first one is, and every human being in this world is made in the image of God has been brought into this world with a dignity and the image reflecting who God is. I know that. There's another truth I am am assured of too. Is that in every one of those human beings, sin has marred that image. Everyone. Everyone, every human being comes into this world, the image of God, and yet that image has been marred and defamed by sin. Comes into the world, every human being, lost, apart from God, separated from his saving grace. In rebellion against him. God says that. Receive it. If you are here this evening and you have never heard that before and that was not what you were expecting to come to hear as you were coming to church this evening on the 4th of July, let me say that that is the mercy of God to you this evening that you are told that apart from God, you are in a helpless rebellion against him. You receive that indictment because it is only In receiving the pronouncement of that indictment, are you able, in a position to, receive the mercy and the grace of God for help in your desperate time of need? This is Israel's position. Receiving the mercy of God and the grace of God for your sin. For only when you own up to your sinfulness are you able to receive and receive the saving grace and mercy of God. Own up to it. This is why it is so hellish, beloved. This is why it is so demonic when people refuse to preach sin. Because the refusal to preach sin keeps human beings in their sin. Receive the indictment because only then will you receive the mercy and the grace of God unto the forgiveness of our sins. God says we are rebellious and we are what God says we are. Receive that. Because it is only in receiving that do we hear also what God says we are. For those whom God has declared rebellious when they receive 
his mercy and his grace, he makes another pronouncement upon them. And God calls those who were once rebellious, God says, now you are righteous. We are what God says we are. And God says, you receive that indictment, then you who were once in rebellion are now the righteousness of God. And God's judgment then, we need to understand that as far as God is concerned, his judgment need not be the end of the story and neither need be our rebellion. No one here this evening needs stay in their rebellion. You can be called and pronounced righteous in God. For God redeems the wicked and the rebellious. And those who were once rebels have now become the righteousness of God. And whereas the prophet brought the message of judgment, after the prophet has brought the message of judgment, notice what God does. He sends an angel. And the angel brings the promise of grace. Notice the prophetic words. That the angel says to Gideon, after the prophet has pronounced Gideon and the nation rebellious, the angel comes along and he says this to Gideon. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. Now, this is interesting. For not only was Gideon not anticipating a visit from the angel of God, much less was he expecting these prophetic words of accommodation. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. Again, beloved, again, I'm telling you, again, what God declares about you is true no matter what anybody else says about you. And therefore, we must receive the assessment of God again. Not only to our, unto our condemnation, but you have to receive the assessment of God unto your salvation and redemption as well. Notice what he says. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of God. Mighty man of God. Of God. Gideon is like the rest of the nation. His father and his people are worshiping Baal. His clan are Baal worshipers. He is hiding in the caves, he is threshing wheat in secret. There is nothing about Gideon that says mighty man of valor. But guess what? There's nothing about you that says righteousness of God. 
There's nothing about you that says child of God. There's nothing about you that says friend of God. There's nothing about you or me that says the righteousness and the holiness of God. Except God says that about you. And if God says that about you, then it does not matter what anybody else's assessment of you is. Gideon is a mighty man of valor, not because anybody else in the nation calls him that. He is a mighty man of valor because God said he is. And therefore, when you hear the word of God in truth, beloved, the call of us is to walk in it. Notice that despite Gideon's lack of understanding what God is doing in him and through him, the angel says, go in this might of yours and save Israel. Go in this might of yours and save Israel. And whose might? Gideon has no might. Ah, but again, beloved, realize this, that it is not what we believe about ourselves or even what others believe about us, but rather it is what God has declared us to be. It is in that that we must walk. You remember the account of the woman caught in adultery? In John chapter 8, she was caught in adultery, beloved. She was an adulterer. And by law, she should be stoned. And they bring her to Jesus. And they want to know, Jesus, what should we do with this woman who has been caught in adultery? And the Bible says that Jesus didn't say anything, just began to write upon the ground. And as he wrote upon the ground, whatever he wrote, it was enough to scatter one of her accusers, to scatter two more of her accusers, to scatter three more of her accusers, until all of her accusers were scattered. And there she was. With Jesus. It didn't matter what her accusers had said about her. What mattered is what Jesus pronounced upon her. He pronounced her forgiven, He pronounced her free, He pronounced her righteous in God. Beloved, it doesn't matter what others say. What matters is what God says. And notice this, 
that Gideon is a man of valor, not because of who Gideon is, but because of who God is. Because if God is going going to command Gideon to be a man of valor and save his people, it is because God is going to supply what God commands. Is Gideon going to be a mighty man of valor? It is because the valor and the might will come from God. If you are going to be the righteousness of Christ, it is because God is going to supply the righteousness that is necessary for for us to be the righteousness of Christ. If we are going to be called holy in God, it is not because we are going to be holy in and of ourselves, but it is because God is going to supply the holiness so that we might become the righteousness of God. Beloved, if we are among the faithful, if we are among the forgiven, If we have hope of eternal life, it is because God has in Christ Jesus supplied everything that we need. This is why, this is why, this is why it is so, so crucial that we not only receive the indictment of God that we are rebellious. Because in doing so, it leads us to the glorious truth that God declares that we are righteous in Christ Jesus. That's the prophetic word that God pronounces over Gideon. The angel comes and makes that prophetic announcement. And yet in spite of the prophetic announcement, look and see Gideon's pitiful response. Gideon, like most of us, doubts the words of God because he sees with the eyes of his head and not the eyes of his heart. You do understand, beloved. If God says you are righteous in him, if you spend your time looking at yourself and concentrating on yourself, you will not believe God. You won't believe that you are righteous in him. You won't believe that you are holy. You won't believe that you are his child because there is nothing in your life that testifies to that truth. And this is why we do not look to ourselves. We look to Christ. This is why we, we do not talk or we don't listen to ourselves, but rather we preach to ourselves. And I preach to myself every day the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am justified. I am forgiven. I am walking in the newness of life. I belong to Christ. Despite what my circumstances say. 
I belong to him. And I am his. And he is mine. But notice Gideon doesn't do that. Gideon wonders if God is good. He wonders if God is good. Listen to what he says to the angel. But sir, if the Lord is with us, like you say, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, Gideon says, the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. What a response to the mercy and the grace of God. The angel has just pronounced that you are a mighty man of valor. The angels has just pronounced that this might and this valor that is yours is going to save the nation. The, the angel has just pronounced that God is with you. And Gideon looks around, not with the eyes of his heart, but he looks with the eyes in his head. I don't see God. <laughs> How do I see a Midianite? Where is this God that our fathers used to talk about? Who redeemed us out of Israel with his mighty hand, who has brought us into this prompt? Where is this God? Beloved, whenever this type of conversation goes on, you can best believe that an enemy has done this. Whenever you and I or the people of God begin to doubt the goodness of God and the presence of God with us, you can best believe that an enemy has done this. For this is the mo, this is the MO of Satan. This is the way he operates. Satan did not, desires nothing more than for you and I to doubt the goodness of God. Oh, he's not really with you. Oh, he's really not that good. Oh, he's really not on your side. Oh, he's just trying to keep all of the good things and all of the pleasurable things and all the wonderful things for himself. He doesn't want you to enjoy these things. Look around at your circumstances. God isn't with you anymore. He has all but forsaken you. This is the work of the enemy, beloved. Satan gets no greater pleasure than when we are doubting the goodness of God. But this is what we need to always be mindful of, beloved. No matter what our circumstances are, God is always better. No matter how good you think God has been, he's been better than that. No matter how great you think God has been, he's been even greater than that. No matter how sweet you think God has been, Brother Don, he's been even sweeter than that. I don't care what has happened or going on in your life, I can make this pronouncement with the fear of no contradiction in all of heaven, and that is God is good.
And the angels would say, "Uh uh-uh, he's better than that. Despite Gideon's response, beloved, we can see just how good God is. Because even in the midst of Gideon's lack of trust, the promise of God still stands. Did you see that? Even in the midst of Gideon's pitiful response and lack of trust, God's promise still stands. Here is the grace of God even in the midst of our doubts and our defiance. Even in the midst of our faithlessness, our God is still faithful. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you because you slipped into a moment of doubt. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you because in the moment of your sinful frustration, you believe that somehow God has forsaken you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you even though all of your circumstances may be saying that all is lost. God is not going to leave you. Even when it seems that all others have forsaken you. If God has promised to be with you, he is not going to leave you. Because the promise is not based upon your fickle faithfulness. The promise is based in the integrity of his word. And he has promised, he has promised never to leave his people nor to forsake him. God gives Gideon the greatest promise in the Bible. Did you know that? Here, beloved, is the greatest promise in all the scriptures. And it is not just the promise that God gave to Gideon, but it is the promise that he gives to his people. It is the promise of hope. It is the promise of power. It is the promise of victory. It is the promise of the presence of God. God says, I will be with you. Beloved, This is all. This is all we ever need. It's all you ever need. Is that God is with you. It is the promise to God's people throughout the Old Testament. It is the promise of God to us in Jesus Christ. When God sent Jesus, when Jesus comes into the world, when he is born as a baby, the prophecy is that they shall call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. 
When the disciples are out on the boat and the, and the waves begin to, to reel and to rock the boat and the boat is tossed and it seems like all is lost and Jesus is down in the bottom of the boat and he is fast asleep as the storms are raging and the disciples are fearful for their lives and they go and they shake Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we are dying? Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm here. Oh, ye of little faith. I promise that I wouldn't leave you. I'm right here. And Jesus is about to be, about, as he is about to ascend into heaven. And he meets with his disciples and he gives them the great commission and he sends them out into the world to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of the nations. The last words that he says to them is, go and I will be with you even to the ends of the earth. It's the greatest promise in all the Bible. Everything else it's subject to it. Beloved, you can lose a lot of things. The one thing that you cannot afford to lose is the presence of God. And beloved, if you have the promise and the presence of Christ, then you have all that you for his presence with us is a promise of power. It is the promise that is more than our circumstances. It is the promise that we behold our circumstances, not with the eyes of our head, but we look at the, our circumstances with the eyes of our hearts. And so that Gideon is fearful, but the promise of God is fearless. Gideon says that he is the least of his father's children, but the promise is that the last shall be first. Gideon declares that he is weakest, that his clan is the weakest among the people of Manasseh. But the promise is that when we are weak, then is Christ strong. Beloved, no matter, no matter whatever, whatever your sin says about your circumstances, the promise of the gospel is that the grace of God is greater still. It matters not what other people say. What matters is what God says. And if you don't know God this evening, if you have not come to him by faith and received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of God for your sins, then God says you are rebellious. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about it. 
You are in rebellion. And the judgment of God is upon you. But beloved, if you would receive this evening the mercy of God and come by faith and see not with the eyes of your head but with the eyes of your heart and see the Christ who has died for the forgiveness of sin, then you will hear not only that you were rebellious but now you will hear the pronouncement of God that you are righteous in him. And it matters not what anybody else says about it. All that matters is what God says. And when you go from here, you go with the promise that he is with you, never to leave you, nor forsake you. The question for each of us is, is we, are we going to believe what God says? Are we going to trust what God says? Are we going to see with the eyes of our heart and believe the assessment of God? I trust that everyone here this evening would hear the voice of Christ and would come Come to the cross and receive the forgiveness of sin and hear him say, you are mine and I am yours forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for your prophetic word as it has pronounced judgment against our sin, and it has welcomed us into your beloved family and made us righteous in Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice who hasn't bowed the knee to the Lordship of Christ, if anyone who is not sure that they know Jesus in the pardon of their sin, who have not heard you make the, the declaration on them that they are righteous in him and in him alone. Lord, I pray that these words would come upon them and that their hearts would be broken and that they would hear the voice of our Savior calling unto them to receive the forgiveness of their sins and the promise that is the hope of eternal life. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. We glorify you. We magnify your name. We pray this prayer. In Jesus, our Savior. Amen.